Hello, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. Hi, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I'm the Fiscal Feminist. I'm also a managing director and partner in the Bonson Group, which is a wealth management practice with offices in Newport Beach, California, and New York City. So today, I want to talk to you about the She Session, the facts, the effects, and the solutions. What is the She Session? The coronavirus pandemic has caused people throughout the country to suffer financially due to job losses. The Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that unemployment has risen more acutely for American women than men, with an even bleaker picture for women of color. The COVID-19 crisis has highlighted the consequences of gender and racial inequities in the workplace, with women being particularly vulnerable on several fronts on the pandemic's aftermath. Betsy Stevenson, a former chief economist at the U.S. Labor Department, said, This pandemic has exposed some weaknesses in American society that were always there, and one of them is the incomplete transition of women into truly equal roles in the labor market. See Nicole Mason, president and chief executive of the Institute for Women's Policy Research, said, I think we should go ahead and call this a she session. So it's a riff on recession, but with she. In the massive April job loss numbers, women accounted for 55% of the job losses, and yet they represented only 49% of the overall workforce. The unemployment rate for men aged 16 years and older was 13.3% in April, compared to an unemployment rate of 15.7% for women during the same period. April's job losses erased a decade of job gains for women. So why do I care about this? Why am I talking to you about this today? Because I believe the effects of this type of unemployment for women really kind of trickles down through all aspects of our lives. It's not good for families or children, and it's not good for the overall economy. You know, I want to raise consciousness about this today because I think it's a very important issue, and we need to think of a way to somehow ameliorate it over time. So let me give you some recent historical context to consider. From the end of the Great Recession in July 2010 to the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis in February 2020, women gained 11.1 million jobs. And in April, 100% of those gains were wiped out. For the same period, men gained 10.8 million jobs and saw 85% of those gains wiped out. Women of color were especially hit hard by the pandemic's losses. The unemployment rate increased by 16.4% for black women and a whopping 20.2% for Latina women. Younger women between the ages of 20 and 24 experienced unemployment rates reaching 28% compared to 24% for men of the same age group. Now, we've gotten some more recent job information since April that was released last week, And it shows that the economy rebounded slightly by gaining 2.5 million jobs through mid-May. The majority of the jobs gained back in May went to men. Women gained 1.1 million jobs in May, meaning only 1 in 10 of the 11.3 million jobs women lost in April have returned. Despite improvements for all other groups, the unemployment rate for black women during that same period increased slightly. So... 
things have not improved greatly since the April numbers. Women have never experienced an unemployment rate in the double digits since the Bureau of Labor Statistics began reporting data by gender in 1948 until now. Think about that for a minute. In January 2020, before the COVID-19 pandemic, according to the Washington Post, for just the second time, women outnumbered men in the U.S. paid workforce, with their new majority supported by fast job growth in healthcare and education over the past year, as well as the tight labor market. Women garnered 50.04% of payroll jobs in December 2019, up from 50% the prior month, which equated to 139,000 jobs out of 145,000 jobs picked up totally in December. So, Why did women's employment get hit so hard by this pandemic? The short answer is most jobs lost due to the pandemic were in industry sectors where women's participation is concentrated, such as hospitality and leisure, education, health services, retail, and government. In the hospitality and leisure sector, bars, restaurants, hotels, Women accounted for 54% of the job losses, even though they made up only 52% of the sector's workforce. In education and health service sectors, teachers and nurses, for example, women accounted for 83% of the job losses while making up 77% of that sector's workforce. Government employment declined substantially, driven by losses in education jobs in the local and state government, with women losing 63% of those jobs despite representing 58% of the workforce. You know, there is a problem there. The share of the jobs they have versus the share of job losses obviously is incongruous, and that's a problem. They're taking a bigger hit. The other problem that women continue to face is gender pay inequality. So to add to this mix of problems, women continue to struggle with gender pay inequality and carrying the outsized share of the domestic responsibilities of childcare homeschooling, and housework. In 2020, women earned 81 cents for every $1 earned by a man. Hence, an average woman's annual salary is 81% of the average man's salary. Although women have been the majority of college-educated adults for almost four decades and women's representation of the college-educated workforce has expanded, they still continue to earn less than men. According to a 2018 Census Bureau report, the average worker between ages 25 and 64 earned $41,900 in 2017, compared to a worker with at least a bachelor's degree who earned $61,300. When specifically comparing gender pay differences, the earnings vary greatly between men and women. The median income of a man with a college degree is $74,900. A college-educated woman, on the other hand, will earn just $51,600. Also, women have the outsized share of domestic responsibilities. Recent economic research indicates that among married couples who work full-time, women provide 70% of childcare during standard working hours, which has been exacerbated by the closing of schools and daycare and cleaning and babysitting services being curtailed. A Boston Consulting Group report states that parents in the United States have nearly doubled the time they were spending on education and household tasks before the coronavirus outbreak to 59 hours per week from 30, 
with mothers spending 15 hours more on average than fathers. Even before the pandemic, women with children were more likely than men to be worried about their performance reviews at work and their mental well-being and to be sleeping fewer hours. And as work begins to open up, it is more likely that women will work less or step away from the workforce because they have childcare responsibilities due to continuing school and daycare closures, or there is no job for them to return to because the sectors they were working in have a slow ramp up in employment due to coronavirus restraints. For single mothers, the pressure is especially intense, now with many contending with layoffs, child care, and worrying about what happens to them and their children after unemployment benefits stop. The ramifications of leaving the workforce for an extended time period are not insignificant, and they have long-term deleterious effects on the financial well-being of the woman doing so. Women will not only relinquish any retirement savings opportunities they may have had by continuing to contribute to their 401ks, but their Social Security benefits will be reduced as benefits are calculated on the highest years of earnings. And if a woman hasn't been in the workforce that long, zero earnings will be substituted in non-working years, reducing her ultimate Social Security payout. Also, re-entering the workforce becomes more difficult the longer someone is out of it. Pre-COVID-19, women were making strides in joining the workforce over the past few years, and that was primarily because of a historically tight labor market. Unemployment was low, and companies needed employees, and so they invested in broader recruiting efforts and diverse talent. Unfortunately, during high unemployment periods, diversity and inclusion are disposable. Joanne Lipman points out in her op-ed on CNBC that the disproportionate negative effect on women's employment is likely to be persistent and workers who lose jobs are likely to have less secure employment in the future. And that was according to a working paper from several universities. So what can be done to contain the damage to women's livelihoods? The gains that were made pre-COVID-19 with women, making up the majority of the entire U.S. workforce, are now threatened. Women are an important segment of the workforce and contribute substantially to the growth of our economy and the well-being of the country. Further, capitalism and opportunity aren't reserved for men. Women enjoy being productive, self-sufficient, independent, and successful, too. We need to have a serious conversation about the gender wage gap subsidized childcare, flexibility in the workplace, and why having a diverse workplace is just good business sense. A study discussed in a recent Fortune magazine article states that workplace equity isn't only the right thing to do, it is better for business. Great Place to Work has documented that inclusive organizations have more than three times the revenue growth of less inclusive workplaces. Fortune's analysis also cited that while stock prices declined 35.5% between 2007 and 2009, otherwise known as the Great Recession, companies that were most diverse actually posted a 14.4% gain in stock prices. Companies should conduct gender wage gap analysis, and we should invest in companies that support families and are working towards equal gender representation. Further, Congress has provided some help to families in the stimulus bill, but we need more permanent measures for assistance with child care, especially for single moms who make up the majority of single-parent households. 
In the U.S., couples spend almost 26% of their income on childcare costs, and the number skyrockets to almost 53% for single parents, according to a report from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Currently in the United States, most childcare is privately operated as for-profit or not-for-profit organizations, and some childcare is operated by the public sector, such as the Head Start program. But this mixed bag means that the type of childcare received depends heavily on where you live and your socioeconomic status. We need to level the playing field with this for the sake of mothers and families. Also, we need to consider instituting paid maternity or family leave across all industries, along with paid sick leave. At this time, when people are working remotely, perhaps it is time to acknowledge that flexibility and working from home are possible. Let's learn from the pandemic and its effects on women's employment. Now is the time to realize that diversity in the workforce, gender pay equality, family leave, and childcare provisions are not optional. They are essential, and they are not only good for women, but for families and the economy. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your time, and I look forward to talking to you next time. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.